0: to and introducing a podcast about words about music i'm chris wade i'm molly o'brien and introducing on lead vocals it's scott walker over six decade journey from teen dream crooner to brooding experimental composer scott walker has explored the dark bleeding edges of pop music with his iconic vibrato and iconoclastic production today we'll be learning all about scott from a bunch of articles and the 2006 documentary scott walker 30th century man but first let's introduce our guest he's the host of the indie heads podcast and the moderator of the indie Heads subreddit folks give it up for maddie monroe Hello, thank you, thank you for having me, guys. I'm I'm really excited to talk about uh, Scott Walker. Yes, and thank you for suggesting this to us. I had always heard of Scott Walker as uh, you know this legendary figure and a very influential one, but it had been he'd been a bit bit of a blind spot for me. And honestly, just watching this documentary last night, um, a the documentary is great, and b uh, it really filled felt like it filled me in on like a lot of stuff, like basically all of good uh, British rock music from like the late seventies onward, like makes so much more sense when you know what Scott Walker about Scott Walker's whole deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Maddie, I was also just looking at your Twitter, Twitter stalking you a bit and saw that you did the <laughs> uh without downloading any new pictures mentally where are you? And you did uh, a feature with Scott Walker with that's this the sadness of being Scott where he's looking all <laughs> like emo. That is so oh. perfect for. I feel like we we are all Scott Walker right now, stuck in our head, I mean, or at least yeah. early Scott Walker, just like trapped in your head. Uh, you know, feeling sad and weird. So I, <laughs> I relate.
0: I mean, you know, Scott Walker. He was you know the handsomest you know pop star in the world, and right now I'm the handsomest podcaster in the
1: world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> much like Scott Walker, I'm insanely sad all the time.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, you, so you suggested Scott, um, what is your personal Scott Walker history slash journey?
0: Um, so I think my journey with Scott Walker started probably, I want to say sometime in 2015, maybe 2016, um, in the Indie Heads podcast chat, my friend Jeremiah was talking about Scott Walker and I'm like, oh, who's he? He's like, oh, you got to check out, uh, Scott three. And so he sent me Scott three and then from the, the first notes of it's rain today i've been I've been hooked ever since, and then just learning about the, the personal story of Scott just has made him such a you know over the years just an artist that I continue to love and so much and inspires me all the time, and also just like I love talking about Scott Walker because he just has such an interesting story. I can't think of another artist that has gone down the same path as Scott Walker. I think the only artist I can really think of um maybe Fiona Apple a little bit because especially good comparison. with, with I think especially with Fetch the Bolt Cutters, I think that kind of solidified it very, like, pretty... It's still, like, yeah, stretch a little bit because, obviously, I think, like, you know, different timelines, but still, I think it's, like, in terms of starting off as, like, yeah, this team pop idol and then slowly but surely kind of becoming more avant-garde and experimental over time and also just the long recording breaks and being a bit of a recluse. Mm -hmm. I I just think, like, the basically, uh, except for Fiona, there really hasn't been anyone like Scott Walker before or since.
1: Yeah, also Fiona Apple like late Scott Walker, big fan of non non-instrument instruments. Fiona played I think the bones of her dead dog as percussion on fetch the bolt cutters, which seems now like a totally Scott Walker thing to do. Yes, he literally yes. Is that in
0: that documentary they show him <laughs> uh rather hilariously uh, uh giving notes on his percussionist to his percussionist on how to punch the meat cor- correctly to big percuss slab. a uh, <laughs> to percuss a song oh god yeah there's that and there's the giant wooden cube at one point that, yeah. that's, that they're just like just first kind of rubbing a trash can on top of top of to make a giant shaker yeah it's just like i said scott is a very unique unique uh mind for music and no one really writes songs like him for better or worse generally for worse because i don't think anyone else likes like do i think someone like ariel pink could get away with this maybe uh, maybe ariel pink but like someone like Harry Styles, like oh, I'm Harry Styles. I'm gonna go in the studio and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a get a, get a horse to gallop around in the studio. It's not gonna work, Harry. I, I you know you don't have the range. Yeah. I would I would be very surprised if Harry Style uh, Styles was composing music any anywhere as avant garde as this. Uh, yes, I mean I'll I'll, I'll go next because I'm I'm easy again. I've I've always known of a uh, Scott Walker hol- sized hole. In my uh, pop history knowledge, but just never really looked into it. So last night was pretty much my uh, first experience uh, really figuring out what this guy's whole whole deal was. I basically knew him more as as his his reputation as an avant garde composer. But um, I I'll get more into like what my theory is of the real story of, of Scott Walker's career later.
1: I um I I I knew of him. I don't think I'd probably heard his earlier songs without realizing it or knowing it. I worked when I was in high school. I worked at a diner that had like oldies, Muzak. and like that. There had to be Scott Walker, or the Wa- Walker Brothers, I should say, when he was mm-hmm. originally in his his boy group of Walker Brothers. N- neither neither brothers nor Walkers. Um, <laughs> and so, like that that kind of music was like I'm sh- I'm sure I absorbed it somehow. But I realized that the only real experience that I had concretely can point to as experiencing scott walker is that his uh his one of his Jacques Brel songs was used in the movie hustlers when i saw that i was like oh shit i know that song that song was like really nicely used like whoever was shit. the music director for hustlers like good job because that it, I, it set the tone so weirdly and perfectly what song is it on next on hustlers? uh Oh, okay. Which I think I'm trying to, it was like a montage, you know, I feel like, I feel like that movie was like 85% montage, which <laughs> is not necessarily bad, like, it, I, I love a good montage, but uh, like somewhere midway through the movie, they used it as, as a i th- oh, it was to illustrate them like doing the scamming, so, you know, getting, <laughs> mm-hmm. getting the men all drugged up and uh, swiping their credit cards and such, and then you've got uh, Scott Walker in the background going next. Uh, it was cool. So anyway, that that's all I had until I I read a bunch about him um, in a bunch of like features and obituaries, and then watching, I thought it was 30th century man, but it's 30th century man. Uh, yes,
0: maybe <laughs> it's to imply that his life contains 30 centuries. Uh, just a quick note on Hustlers uh, to link these two all this early conversation together. Also, iconically featured in Hustlers. Criminal by Fiona, Fiona
1: Apple. Apple. Yes. Wow. So yes. Uh,
0: maybe the uh, maybe the music director for Hustlers was indeed on your uh, your your Fiona a- Apple. A
1: thing. recluse only playlist, <laughs> except for Love in This Club, which I'm pretty sure Usher is a social guy, so I don't think that counts. <laughs> Um, but yeah, should we should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into the, the life his, of Scott his, to his whole deal. La, la vie de Scott. I feel like he's like a very like French ass seeming like bohemian dude. Um, okay, so he was born no- Noel Scott Engel, uh, January 9th, nineteen forty three, in Hamilton, Ohio. So Ohio, I feel, Southwest I feel like he's Ohio. Got, represent. He's got like such a European vibe, and it's so funny that he comes from such a Midwestern place.
0: Uh we were talking right before we started recording. Um, and I've mentioned before that it is truly remarkable how many musical weirdos Ohio has produced. Uh that there's something there's something in the Ohio water or landscape that that drives the people who choose music as their career into uh weird, bizarre obsessions. You know you know the the river in Ohio? I think it's either Cleveland or some other city in Ohio that where the river's on fire all the time. Uh the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's where it that's it don't, it don't really all the Ohio stream.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is such a typical Ohio energy it only happened twice yes give us a break
0: we got it we got it under control <laughs> after about a decade yeah and that again is uh, Cleveland's fault that's Cleveland's deal uh, I t- I, you don't know her I don't know them Southwest Ohio represent me and Noel Angle uh, probably he probably was born like about 50 miles away from where I was
1: wow damn um, so he, his, his family, his dad was an oil industry manager. He moved around the country a bunch, but he settled in California in 1959. This is, this area is a little spotty. So Maddie, if you have more info, cause I couldn't really find a ton. He was a child actor. He was in Broadway musicals. Like he was as a kid, he was interested in music, but he was the rare kid that actually was in the music business as basically a kid. Um, which I feel like yeah. is rare for dude. Like I always hear, you hear about the like Mickey Mouse club, like ladies, but you don't really hear about like a guy getting sucked into the, the machine so early. Yeah.
0: So I, even, even, even I, my, my knowledge is a little spotty from what, what I know. Basically. Yeah. was in California, sunset strip, I think. And basically at least for the late fifties, early sixties was like, uh, like a wannabe child star, uh, recorded a couple of singles under his, under his real name that are like really interesting to hear because this is before like his really deep like baritone had set in. So it's kind of funny to hear him like pre-puberty essentially. And to see him out like developing his voice, you know, the slick back hair mm-hmm. and just like, again, I want to be a child star, but really for the most of at least the early sixties, um, he pretty much was sort of a mix of like a session player and like sort of like uh, a touring member of some bands. I don't, I don't know. There's definitely, like, there's like a big j- jazz artist. He, he played a couple of shows with cause Scott was primarily a basis for for, for some time um, but yeah I think eventually I think the documentary then kind of goes to uh, them and John Moss uh, who I is it John Walker in in the Walker brothers? Is it?
1: yeah. <laughs> I, it's like the, it's like the opposite Ramones <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but but uh, I think John Walker goes to England with one of his friends and then like just to try to make it in the industry, Uh, come back because they they failed but basically they're like yeah we kind of failed but like England's like really cool you should come with us uh Noel Scott and Scott's like okay sure and then you know forms the Walker brothers and then becomes uh uh massive stars in in the UK for uh, a number of years
1: I feel like it it's kind of see you hear a lot in the you know 90 like 80s 90s Early two thousands, like the idea of like you have to go to England to like sometimes an American band needs to go to England first to like build up their cachet, and I feel like w- the Walker Brothers were maybe kind of like the prototype for this. Is my understanding like it is? It it seems a cool unusual bit. a little bit. I think
0: like I, I kind of agree with that. Although as far as I know, they never really broke through in America. It's it's weird that they were like an American export, but they really only were big in the UK. I can't recall if they were ever like that big in the United States. I think most of it was, yeah, either like UK, Europe, and basically everything except for the US. They probably, probably had a song or two that charted, but really like when, when people talk about the Walker brothers, usually it's just like old boomers in the UK being like, Oh, I remember the, the, the sun never shines anymore back in the day when I was a, <laughs> I was a girl. Uh, <laughs> I, d- I also did find it interesting that he spent a decent amount of time gigging on the, hol- on the Hollywood strip. Like he talks in the yes. documentary about, you know, playing seven shows, a week at like whiskey a go go, uh, just like an interesting, you know, really starting as like a working mu- musician, and then yeah. and then from there transitioning into teen idol, which seems like a weird path for most. Like I, I don't think that there are many people who are like session guys who then become, especially at that at a young age, like teen a teen pop star. Mm-hmm. Because it's funny because I know the documentary mentions that he wasn't really, he wasn't even the singer of the Walker Brothers initially.
1: Right, right.
0: I think it was John. And then at some point there was a song that they were recording that John's voice just wasn't really fit for, but Scott's voice was. They needed so the he just guy with of, the lowest voice, yeah. Exactly. So he just kind of accidentally became a vocalist and then they they took off with, with Scott as, as the front man and, you know, that that, and then the, the, here we are from here, which is, it's just so funny that like he didn't really want to be a singer, but he just, it, it's... He just so happens to accidentally have the voice of a fucking god, essentially. Right. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like, not to like puff him up too much, but it's just like his voice is so good. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing voice.
1: Yeah. Should we Should we listen to some some Walker Bros? Yeah. Um. I guess we're gonna have to go with the sun
0: ain't gonna shine. That was like their big hit, right? Or one of their big hits. That was that was their biggest hit. I think they had a couple hits, but that's really the one that they're most remembered by. I would say. Uh. Let's go for it. This is the Shun ain't gonna sign anymore. Stereo version that like really gives a, a sense so of whatever. lush it is the,
1: the orchestration my uh, god
0: yeah it's like if you didn't know where he was going to end up you would call this uh you know a pretty standard version of mid-60s orchestral pop music mm-hmm. mor like that, that, just that booming wall sound production yeah from from just just so booming and you know like I said, it, it very much like I understand why any girl was in love with Scott Walker back in the day. It's just like, I mean, with a voice like that, I mean, like, damn. Like, right. How can you fall in love with him? Honestly. Right. Yeah. This is honestly the artist that we've covered that's probably most similar to this at this era, era is Ronnie Spector.
1: Mm hmm. <laughs> it's funny because this is a time. This is what is this? 67?
0: Uh, 65, Sixty five. Yeah.
1: So it's like right around the turn from, you know. The, the people who are making the rock music are really starting to rock. And this definitely doesn't rock, <laughs> per se. Mm-hmm. But, like, you kind of forget that, like, I think most people during this time period were pretty normal. And so, like, this is just, like, some nice, very big but normal music that I think is probably pleasing to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: I mean, it, it, it's you're right that it is at a time when all this stuff is very... uh uh, fungible and flowing between because they also show in the documentary a um a bill that's like the walker brothers and engelbert humperdinck with Jimi hendrix Jimi
1: hendrix and dusty springfield yeah I think. it's like so all, it, it's funny to
0: think about now at these things being like no this is like all, like very much something that people who are like interested in quote-unquote rock music would be also listening to i'll just say just yeah that 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 shot where they show the poster of Jimi hendrix it's just insane to think that like it existed really in the same time and that I think they mentioned in the documentary that basically as that tour progressed, even though like the Walker Brothers were the headliner, it really was Hendrix by the end of that tour because mm-hmm. that's who everyone was coming to see was Hendrix. So I thought that was just a funny little progression. And then like I said, seeing, you know, basically, you know, rock and roll take over from this sort of orchestral pop style. Right, right. Yeah, you could even like within the scope of one tour, be like these were the same thing and now they are two different things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, there should be a long German word for like uh, the opener gradually overtaking the interest. I feel like that keeps happening in. Uh, yeah,
0: who else were we talking about where they just kept cutting down their set times?
1: Oh, I think maybe Guided by Voices kept getting cut down. Oh yes, yes, yes. Of playing with um urge overkill. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad my brain hasn't completely turned into slime. Um, the uh. Uh, One article about Scott Walker in The Guardian uh, called The Walker Brothers. Such a perfect confection, it was as if a candy music industry executive had invented them in order to sell a lot of records. Three handsome Americans who looked hip, they had grown their hair long when the Rolling Stones arrived in the U.S., but sang lushly orchestrated ballads. They were perfect for an audience turned off by the left field turn pop was taking. Mm -hmm. They had the long hair, but they make you feel safe.
0: Uh, (laughs) Rockers that your mom can love. (laughs)
1: yes exactly that's
0: that's sweet although it's just very funny to think that like oh that's where the walkers were And then of course seeing where scott walker went you know just like a couple decades later
1: yeah yes right the dark turn um and speaking of that as early as i think in august 1966 he apparently tried to escape to a monastery on the Isle of Wight in order to study Gregorian chanting so like something's going on with, with yes. Scott
0: yeah his interests from very early on I mean he's like 20 or something when they when they're doing this this uh, uh tour of the um when they first first go to England and he says uh that he was really excited to go to um in, to Europe because he was really into European art films like Bergman and Fellini and and stuff like that. And uh, when he got there, all anybody wanted to talk about was like John Wayne movies, and he was very disappointed. And
1: Woody Allen movies. Woody Allen movies, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was, it was like yeah, John
0: Wayne in, in England, and then when he went like further into Europe, it was it was Woody Allen. It's just like god damn it. So I mean, already you do, you see that like already he's very much an outsider, very much like a loner. He know, no has where, right? um an ancient soul even as like a 20 yes. year old.
1: Yes. That is true. Um and so yeah the 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 Walker brothers at least the first incarnation of them it seems to kind of blow apart almost as fast as it came together. Um and then uh Scott Walker goes solo and this I I just I hadn't realized this but he says in in the documentary is that what really like opened him up as like a singer songwriter is singing English versions of Jacques Brel songs. Jacques Brel being the like French or actually not is he Belgian? I think he's, he's not Belgian. He's yeah, he's Flemish, I suppose. I, I guess that's what you call them. Um, you know the, the these kind of like short stories in. Uh, in song form, can
0: I play some uh some
1: Jacques Brel? Play some Jacques Brel. I, I listened to the shit in high school. I was I was all about the Jacques Brel is alive and, and well and living in Paris musical because I was I had a lot of friends. Uh, I, very I
0: weirdly had a Jacques Brel phase in college oh, years. Chris. <laughs> so this we one goes. Know. This one goes out to all the Brel heads. Uh, this is my favorite Jacques Brel song, Amsterdam. It's
1: a good one. There's got to be a Brelhead subreddit. <laughs> tête, le tête de Braille.
2: <laughs> Dans le port d'Amsterdam, il y a des marins qui chantent les rêves qui chantent pour l'arge d'Amsterdam. Dans le port d'Amsterdam, il y a des marins qui dorment comme des oriflames Le Lunday, Belgian, Don't the Port Amsterdam. He de a Marin,
1: so glottal. Everything is so far in the back of his throat. It's incredible. <laughs>
0: uh, they, they call it Flemish for a reason.
2: He had a
1: Marin,
2: Ness, Don't the <laughs>
0: I mean, I kind of want to say that you uh, you get the point on this. I don't want to make us listen to this entire thing, but uh, I'll leave it <laughs> playing in the background. Because it does build up a little more. But uh, yeah, the whole thing is just like a, as you said, like a dramatic short story of a song.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's theatrical.
2: Yeah.
1: Accordion fucking wilding in the background.
0: <laughs> <Just>
1: <laughs> noodling
0: on the yeah, yeah. accordion. He's got the, uh, the slash of accordionist playing for him.
2: <laughs>
0: so
1: this is where uh, Scott's head's at the, mentally yes. Scott is here yes and so he said I I, I kind, of rea- I kind of didn't realize this in the documentary he says that he he accesses he just randomly comes in contact with someone who has like English demos English version demo, language yes. demos of this stuff and he's like gimme and like it kind of ran with it and put Jacques Brel's songs on most of his solo albums from the late sixties. Um, there, it's a good portion. I think like the, the, story of him
0: finding Jacques Brel, I think like the playboy club opened up in England and he went and this he met very some, right, like, right, some, some German, uh, bunny girl there. And then he goes back to her apartment after, after, you know, the, the club closes or something. And she's like, oh, I gotta show you this, 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 this artist, this guy Jacques Brel. And then she plays this guy and, you know, looking at any footage of Jacques Bell, here's this like French, Belgian sweaty little rat of a man. <laughs> he is, he, yeah, extremely way, sweaty man. I say that in the nicest way possible. He's a sweaty little rat of a man. But the, but whatever it is, just the way Sky here in the studio, just something clicks with him. And then just so happens, I think the manager of the Rolling Stones at the time has those demos of someone singing those songs in English. And of course, Scott's like, gimme. And then yeah, it sort of helps kickstart his uh, his solo career at least the the inspiration. Yeah, he does like uh, a, a TV special. I, I really just do it to underline um, the the mental image of Scott Walker drinking Pernod with a German Playboy bunny after going to the club <laughs> listening to Jacques Brel records,
1: and um that
0: that is a vibe.
1: That's iconic. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Um. Yeah. No. The. He the other I can't remember who pointed this out in the in the documentary is that like Jacques Brel is kind of like drooling and spitting while he sings versus the energy that Scott Walker is bringing to the Jacques Brel songs is very like you know masculine and powerful as opposed to wet and and soggy yes <laughs> and yeah Shoot, can we listen to a um a, a Scott Walker a Walker Braille, a Walker, a Walker Jacques. Do you know what which one of his? Um, find next. Listen to next.
0: This is from Scott Two.
1: Scott Two, also incredibly iconic. That his four solo albums from this time period are Scott, Scott Two, Scott Three, and Scott Four. Yes,
0: very good. Um, that's, how you, that's was, how you do it, baby. Although I was pointing out that the one problem with that is that then people have to say that you know your mas- his masterpiece, Scott Four. Instead of it being like (laughs) just Scott, or like you know, um, um, an iconic, evocative album name, "My Mm. Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy," (laughs) uh, which could be a name of any Scott Walker album. Anyway, this is next off of uh, Scott Walker Two or Scott Two.
3: Naked as sin, an army towel covering my belly. Some of us blush. Somehow knees turning to jelly Next, next I was still just a kid There were a hundred like me I followed a naked body A naked body followed me Next, next I was still just a kid When my innocence was lost In a mobile army or house Gift of the army free of cost next this is
1: very hustlers You're this, next. This fits the text pretty well.
3: i really would have liked a little touch of tenderness maybe a word just a smile some instant happiness but no no next next oh it it wasn't so tragic the high heavens didn't fall but how much at that time i hated being there at all next next
0: Anyway, uh, very, very dramatic, very intense. Given how he was positioning, it is, it is like you know, it's imagining like one of the Beatles uh, releasing a song like this in like 1967. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is this is an unfortunate thought I just had about this song. Him just saying next, next, it just makes me think of the shitty MTV reality show. Next, yes. (laughs) Oh my God, this is the theme song too. uh, They should have used that as a theme song if they knew what was good for them. Molly, you should recut uh, some next clips using this song. I
1: will. I will. Uh, so that's where where Scott wants to go, and you can also tell like what the difference between him singing with the Walker Brothers, where he kind of he never looks totally comfortable on stage, versus I feel like once he got into this era, like something kind of like clicked, like he could, I think he was able to like embody maybe he's more comfortable playing like a, a character or like channeling something as opposed to just being like a good looking guy who's singing to his you know would be lady love i'm not sure um but yeah that's that's the vibe he (laughs) and uh, because he is a was a walker brother the solo albums at first they like did well they charted and then around i think it was scott three no scott four um scott four was the first one to not chart but Scott three was the first one that he, he basically noted a kind of like fatigue of the audience because you wrote the whole thing almost in three, four times, yes. <laughs> which is like such an antisocial thing to do. Like, come on, dude. A, well, you can't you can't major, really dance the three, four. I
0: think my, yeah, I think my major, uh, my major problem is, uh, in developing my pop, pop career was going all in on waltzes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll do one more joke. It's like, uh, <laughs> It's like uh, Willie Nelson said, sad songs and waltzes aren't selling this year.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nicely done. So yeah, Scott Scott 4 doesn't chart, and it seems like he kind of takes it personally. Like he, or well, at least, he, yeah, go ahead.
0: And so he takes it personally. So throughout all these the, the, these uh, self-titled records, Scott 1 through 4, slowly but surely he's adding more and more of his own songs. Yeah. There. He's writing more and more stuff. Of course, like Jacques Brel, I think, that ends up sort of lighting a fire in his head of being like, oh, you can talk about these things in songs. Like in uh, Jackie, he gets to say in a stupid ass way and it's just the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. It's He's being like, oh, you can talk about these things that are kind of taboo in-, in pop music and you can make it work. When he said that, I, I was mostly shocked that people said things, the phrasing of stupid ass existed before, like, I don't know, the nineties. <laughs> Uh, but 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 yeah so i think by scott three that's where he's writing most of the songs on the album. because i think the first 10 tracks i believe on, on scott three are all written all are all written by scott himself and you can already hear like the change in sound uh already just but just by it's writing today just you know these, these really lush string arrangements obviously the, the the three four signature being uh featured heavily throughout but also just the the fact that the music feels much more darker. I feel like, you know, he's able to turn these Jacques Brel songs into like these sort of fun rompus adventures. But by Scott Three and Four, though the reality of these rompus adventures starts to starts to set in a little bit. Uh, well let's and, let's continue to Scott Three. Here is the titular Thirty Century Man.
3: See the dwarfs and see the giants What would you choose to be And if you can't get that together Here's the answer, here's the key You can freeze like a 30-century man Like a 30-century man I'll save my breath and take it with me until a hundred years or so. Shame you won't be there to see me shaking hands with Charles
0: de Gaulle. <laughs> play it cool. I mean, this one is a much more stripped-down one, so you're can. not really getting any of that production you information, but or uh, production sound. But you can uh felt like I had to play That's like the title a of the documentary. Right. Yeah. You got it. Yeah,
1: and he he said too in the documentary that um, his it, even coming around to songwriting was at first kind of more of a push to get like B sides for the Walker Brothers, yes. and yeah. then so it's it's just so funny like everything he does this is like accidental. It's, it's both accidental, but also <laughs> just from like the present. Like he clearly wa- you know he wants to be a musician and he wants to be in the music world, but it's like it's always like yeah, well you know. Uh, They they needed a lower voice, so I sang. It wasn't really my bag. Yeah, my agent
0: advised me that I should probably get some songwriting credits so, so I can, like, you know, some composing credits so I can make a little money.
1: And then he writes these wild songs. So maybe he just protests too much. I don't know. Maybe this is exactly what he wanted to do. Yes. Like, um, oh no! I accidentally stumbled in being a teen
0: pop idol. Oh <laughs> no! I never wanted this.
1: Oopsie! <laughs>
0: oh God! All all these teen girls think I'm the cutest boy alive. That's oh no! I can't handle it. Awkward.
1: Awkward. Also, the the thing I forgot to bring up from the Walker Brothers period. Is that you? You hear and you see all the time of like the teeny boppers in this area, the era of the '60s. You know, the the musician drives away from the concert, and they're flooding the car, and they're tapping on the windows. <laughs> Scott Walker and the Walker brothers—they were in a car that got turned over by the fucking fans, <laughs> and they weren't wearing—they didn't have seat belts. Their car was literally <laughs> turned upside down by these rabid fans. Like that's traumatizing. <laughs>
0: Uh, pe- people did not n- know how to have fans then. In fact, I would argue that people that that the last like fifty or sixty years has been a um, largely a, a a a ongoing convulsion of people not knowing how to be a fan of somebody.
1: That's a that's that's real. I I, I yeah. still think people. I think given the chance without proper precautions, BTS army people could still totally. Turn over there, you know, uh, escalate Yeah, I mean the nineteen
0: driving. in nineteen what, at sixty five, it was uh, flipping over your uh, favorite artist's car outside the concert venue, and in uh, twenty twenty, it's calling in a bomb threat on a New York Times journalist who wrote an article about them. <laughs>
1: oh my God! Don't give me <laughs> any ideas.
0: Oh God! And then swatting, swatting their mentions that Twitter yeah. with fan cams. Yeah, swatting, swatting
1: anyone who gives you less than like a a, a, a nine on, on pitchfork, pitchfork. Yeah. 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 That's right. Give us the
0: ransom of $500,000. <laughs> Stan Luna, give us the ransom and <laughs> your <laughs> daughter will be safe.
1: <laughs> That'd actually be sick. That's a really good, that's a good idea for a movie Is with like, you know, like a Lee of Schreiber or whatever uh, g- gaining revenge on the uh, pop star assassin. Mm-hmm. Free, free idea. Um. Anyway, so Scott, he's becoming kind of a mess. He He develops like an alcohol and pill problem that he basically ends up describing as like a six to seven year long blackout. Like he he doesn't remember 1969 to 1975, which that's that's mm-hmm. kind of an insane thing to feel yeah. <laughs> in in your body. Um, mm-hmm. And then but in the meantime, he's also like he's returning to, you know, the, the failure, the perceived failure of Scott for he's like making music for. TV, like TV themes and like movie themes and doing stuff that is like more abjectly commercial, even though that's definitely not where his heart is lying. So, yeah,
0: basically, after the failure of of Scott Ford, then the album after that, until the band comes in, he basically is just relegated to just doing cover albums for for most of the 70s until the Walker brothers reunite to, you know, cash in on that nostalgia circuit. Yeah. They they, they notch like one more hit, but then after that, you know, once again, just back to being, you know, just sort of just going on the nostalgia circuit and, Basically, just being you know, at least in Scott's mind, just you know, being a being a failure and not being able to to truly express himself as an artist until 1978, when the Walker Brothers label is about to fold, as they're getting ready to make uh, their their la- I guess what is now their their last album, uh, Night Flights, which the making of that album is is kind of funny, where it's just like okay, the label's folding, um, fuck it, just fuck <laughs> it, let's just do whatever we want, like you write a couple songs. You write a couple songs. I will write a couple songs, and then that that then we have an album. Yeah. Uh, fuck it, dog. Let's just do it and be legends. Yeah. <laughs> no. The idea that that's another thing that I couldn't quite get my head around the idea of uh, something that something was going out of business would give you the ability to make another album.
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: I guess it's just that they don't like need anything from it, so it doesn't have to convey conform to any. Uh,
1: yeah. Nothing has to be fulfilled. Like yes. it doesn't. There. Nothing is owed.
0: We don't need a. We don't need a single.
1: Mm -hmm. You you wanted a hit.
0: Uh, Let's play off that. The electrician. (laughs)
1: <laughs> totally. <laughs> I need to know the other Walker brothers take on this shit actually. Like were they vibing with this? Were they just <laughs> yeah. like whatever, I don't care? Yeah. Let's
0: let's got to his thing. Uh It's also funny this comes out in, in 1978 and it, honestly the first thing I thought of uh, Baby
2: it's slow. Yes.
0: Well I first I I thought let's go (laughs) low I'll let's play for a second now that it's it got to the uh, the vocals. There's
3: no help, no baby it's slow.
0: Anyway, when I first heard this, my first thought was, wow, We're these guys are uh, out joy-divisioning joy, joy Division a year before Unknown Pleasures comes out. No oh, absolutely. No. Uh, also, this, as I said, this made like a bunch of things make sense. Uh, knowing about Scott Walker makes Jarvis Cocker from Pulp uh, absolutely make sense. He
4: is through the spirit of the to-
2: Keep falls screaming Are you motors? Kill me
3: and kill me and kill
0: me. See when the beat drops, yeah, it's when kind of it grows, right?
3: If I check the
0: handle, you'll die in your dream. Anyway, that's the if electric night blast. So, yeah, the, the first four songs on Night Flights are all Scott songs. And uh, you can tell that they're Scott songs by the, the everything about them.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: uh, so it's 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 clear that, like, you know, in the interim between Scott Four or till the band comes in and this album, he's been uh, in a very bad place <laughs> since the since those last albums. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it is really just crazy. Like, this was 1978. It just, just does not sound like. Seventy eight. I mean he's like it's obviously like outdoing like a lot of the post punk that was kind of starting yeah, to pop exactly. up at the time and also a little bit of like Bowie's Berlin era, just doing that better. And actually they, they talk about that in the documentary. They, they I think they played this song for, for Brian Eno and he's just like, God damn it. This motherfucker, He did me?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian Eno hearing this stuff and being like, "We haven't moved beyond this." He's like, "We literally, no one has figured out how to make like better rock music than this." Like, this is basically where we are. And I'm like, "Oh, he's he's right." <laughs> <laughs> and then Chris, you said someone should play uh, Brian Eno some some K-pop. I would like to hear Brian Eno's take on K-pop. Uh, I'm sure it would be it's shit, man.
0: Uh, <laughs> But, uh, I would, but I would I would I would I would watch that YouTube reaction video. <laughs> God, the you know know, Eno's part of him being like, God damn it, it just reminds me of that uh that, that tweet about um uh, the LeBron James chain. Like over <laughs> I was like overheard in, in Brian Eno's production studio after after listening to night flights, he got me, Eno <laughs> said of of Scott Walker's dunk over him. That fucking Walker boomed me. <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. <laughs> he repeated four times. Bronson said he wanted to add add Walker to the list of the studio musicians he worked with on later albums. (laughs) Uh, He kills it. I mean, he comes the okay. So, I mean, we'll get more into this, but he like comes back from like his brief blackout exile with this shit. And the thing is, is it's like it's it's really is like a just like a half step away from the mid '60s orchestral pop, but it's like revolutionized in all these ways that puts it. Directly in conversation with all this great, um, what it is like the the revolutionary rock music at the time, as you're saying, the post punk stuff, um, the 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 Bowie, what Bowie was doing at the time, and even as I'm saying with Jarvis Cocker, like the the Britpop stuff that would come after it, and then like Teaser, my my take on him is that he has spent his entire five decade career taking that like perfect mid sixties lush. Sweet saccharin, Burt Bacharach pop, and just slowly dissecting it and, and peeling it open and cutting out cutting it down to the bones and sinew and turning it outside and inside out, and like creating something horrific out of that one pure wall of uh, wall of sound sound. Uh, and it's really fascinating because it shows that all how that stuff has like such sonic darkness to it to begin with.
1: I don't. I don't mean. I think that's a good analysis, and I. I don't mean to cheapen it with this, but Scott Walker's later stuff is totally the um, movie trailer children's choir version of the regular pop songs. Oh yes, but oh, that. God. But for. <laughs> Uh, before orchestral sixties pop, like he's like, oh, you like this? Like, let's make it a horror movie. Yes. <laughs> like, you want Like, you want to be with your your love forever? I'm gonna show you what forever really means. Let's bro. talk about forever. It's uh, not. It's not good. <laughs> so, what happens uh, to Scott next?
0: Uh, so basically, this this drops, and um, it wasn't really like that commercially successful. But basically, oh, uh, really? <laughs> that, that's so weird. It's so weird that this guy writes a song about. A CIA torturer and you know being kind of turned on by it and no one buys it but <laughs> let, me, let me also just beyond the Scott songs let me read you some of the other names of songs on this album this, these are the non socks uh, Scott songs death mm. of romance disciples of death fury in the fire child of flames yeah <laughs> so yeah. this whole album is like uh uh bad vibes bad vibes bad bad vibes indeed but <laughs> but the right people did end up uh, buying and liking this record um so obviously Bowie was at this time still a really big Scott Walker fan i think he, you know uh, Bowie still considers Walker his biggest influence and it's I'm funny sure cuz have... he he's like Scott Walker begins only like 2 years maybe like 2 years before Bowie really hits the scene and i got to imagine mm-hmm. you know you know cuz like maybe not all but like most really successful artists have a thing where they still kind of feel like frauds. I kind of got to imagine every time Scott Walker released an album or like night flights came out, Bowie picked it up and he's like, God damn it. He's still doing me better than me. And nobody. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a little bit, a little bit. I I mean, there's a really cute video out there. I think from some BBC radio show in 97, I think for, for Bowie's like 50th birthday where the host uh, was like, Oh, I have a little gift for you. And it's like a little voicemail that Scott Walker left for bowie and it's just like the you know it's really nice and sweet and like just beautifully written too because it's just scott walker he could just write great things in his sleep essentially Mm -hmm. and you hear hear bowie like tearing up and being like just fanboying out for him it's just it's just the the cutest sweetest thing in the world Uh, but of course i think bowie ends up like covering like night flights on like on his a bunch of his tours uh throughout like the 80s and whatnot but the right people did pay attention to to this album i think not i think it's virgin records they, they signed him in 1979 um, of like, oh, hey, like these songs are kind of amazing. We want to like, I think they signed him to like, uh, the documentary goes over this a little bit where I think either Scott's manager at the time or someone in like his management circle was like, this is the worst contract I have ever seen in my yeah. entire fucking life.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was like 11 albums. Like it was just some kind of like indentured musical servitude. Oh yeah. They said that at the rate that Scott produces
0: albums, he would to fulfill this contract, he would be producing albums until he was 200. Maybe,
1: maybe (laughs) maybe that's the 30 century man It's like it's 30, 30 centuries to complete his virgin records (laughs) contract.
0: Yes. Um, so anyways, uh, he signs for records in 1979, but uh, an album doesn't come out until five years later, uh, Climate of Hunter.
1: Such a which, good album um, title. Why is it so it's good?
0: A album it's a great album title. The album itself, is it's fine. It's definitely like a much more transitional record where it's very much like an 80s Scott Walker album where he's not quite at that avant-garde level yet, and he's not quite hitting like <laughs> the artistic peaks of uh, of Night Flights, but you can tell that like there's something brewing. There's something in the writing. Mm -hmm. in there and then like learning about like the making of climate hunter is so interesting because i think like they talk about how basically for the entire like creation of the album basically scott is just like hiding the melody from literally all the sessions
1: yeah which is like no none of you can hear the melody here that is so nuts like the and i think what i can't remember who in the documentary was like yeah um that's not something that people usually do during recording like usually knowing the melody uh Helps us, you know, play our song. But like uh, Scott Walker was basically just like, I don't want anyone to feel like comfortable. I don't want anyone to feel like in the pocket or like, uh, you know, in any kind of like set um, he was, groove. Like he, I wanted to feel like uns- unsettled or like unstructured. Or he, something. he
0: was he didn't want anybody to be swinging, which is weirdly another thing that uh, Ohio guys love doing is taking all the swing out of music to make it like a mechanical mon- monstrosity. Between him and Devo and like Brainiac and all those guys. It's
1: one of the squarest states, I think.
0: Yeah, well that that's the thing, is that the true the the true like third eye open Ohio guys see through the squareness and know that you have to enforce to make commentary on it, you have to enforce it on S- it, on other people.
1: Squareness is freaky. Yeah. <laughs> Square squareness is freaky. That's like the Devo thing, basically. They're they through being cool. Yeah. Um, but also, I guess you know the Ohio also has like a funk tradition as well. So some people want to swing. The other the other part of the the um, getting re signed to Virgin and making Climate of Hunter is that um, there was like a super fan who comp who made like a a compilation of older solo Scott Walker songs. Um, who was his name? Julian Cope. And he uh, put I just love this because this is just my design brain going crazy is that he the the record was sold with a like a plain gray cover uh, because they uh, the uh, Julian Cope wanted to strip the associations of Scott Walker away and have people hear it from like this like post-punk perspective and therefore not have like the usual, you know, prejudices or like visions or visuals that you would normally have of like what Scott Walker was until that point. I just thought that was that sure. uh, like that's li- literally a rebranding like of what he was. <laughs> Scott Walker, he he's not the, not
0: the high handsome kid you know. He's a doom guy now.
1: <laughs> he's weird and sad. Look at this gray album cover. Um, so beautiful, so great. Should, yeah, should we listen to so, something from Climate of Hunter?
0: Yeah, let's try. I like the, the titles on this because there are uh, eight tracks of which four of them are named, but then the other four tracks are just called track three, track five, track six, and track seven. Rock on. Uh, let's listen to Dealer Off, Scott Walker's 1984 disc, Climate of Hunter. <laughs> like that he that the 80s I feel, I feel like one thing about the 80s is that some of the tone things come for everyone like even if you're you're uh, uh, Scott Walker you can't avoid having that um, that rubbery like Paul Simon uh, uh, Graceland bass tone mm. <laughs> and it really is such an outlier in this discography there's nothing that sounds like this it's just cuz it's got yeah the, obviously the, the Graceland just like it's got the
4: 80s even
0: even as he's starting to like push in a darker direction it still can't help but escape the, the era that it's in
2: the other side of the the still at least there
1: i love that we sound
0: it even has the big, like reverby uh, uh, snare
2: tone at does yeah I think uh, see it is
0: almost in its weird way this seems like this is like lighter than the other than the the, the night um, Less dissonant. Yeah, less dissonant. Let, honestly, less doomy than that, that stuff. O- almost like trying to make an attempt at a pop sound from there. I mean, look at this. This is a harmonica hey, solo. Is
1: this that improvisational saxophonist? It
0: might be. Yes, it is. The guy listened in the do- documentary whose credit was uh, renowned. Renowned in- improvisational, improvisational saxophonist. And I'm like, damn! You got to be pretty good for the, for the doc to put the word "renowned" in front in
1: front of your name. One of the best. I think I think it should be pronounced saxophonist. What do you think? I think
0: that's correct.
1: <laughs> well, like, you know, p- people say pianist, not pianist.
0: Uh, renowned I- Im- improvisational saxophonist.
1: He's a uh, he's studying the obscure art of sexophony.
0: Uh, I would like a Chiron un, uh, under my name in a documentary one day that just says renowned podcast producer. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and this era is so funny. I think in in the documentary there's an interview. I think on some BBC like music show, where you have Scott who's like still got kind of the shaggy hair, but it's kind of you know he's, he's 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 you know getting a little older, and you have like the host next to him who is like crazy, like, bleached, like, short hair and, like, there's all these people in the background that are just, like, Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's like at a, on a couch in an arcade or something. With, it's like, very... empty
1: bottle, like, <laughs> yeah. empty beer bottles everywhere yeah. and, like, background noise. It's very much,
0: it's like BBC trying to do, like, MTV, like, early MTV aesthetic and then they have
1: Scott, Wa- Scott Walker on to talk about these songs. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: That interview is very funny because the girl who was interviewing him was very much like, so do you think that people who like the Walker Brothers will like you s- these songs? And he's like, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, they they clearly gave this girl some yeah. sort of index card with yes. like the basics of like, all right, he, he was in a 60s uh, boy band um, and then he's been like randomly making music since. Uh, I don't know. It, it, comeback? Question mark, question yeah. mark, question mark. The whole tone of
0: it is basically like,
1: so, do you want people to like and buy your new record? And he's like, "No, honestly, no." Been <laughs> there, done you that just Saw how it.
0: fucked up his his contract was. It was just like, "Oh fuck this!" Like, I'm yeah. just gonna make, I'm just gonna just make an album. that's just gonna make them drop me. That's like they have to release it, but they're just gonna drop me right afterwards because it's inevitably gonna be a commercial failure.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a boss move. Honestly,
0: I respect that. He he is a boss guy. He is a, he is a Chad, um, uh, and he also a normie. Like his style is like.
1: Well, it's like beatnik normie. Yeah,
0: I guess it's like, it, it's like, a uh, um, like windbreakers and backwards baseball hats. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Fred Durst in a way. Like, yeah. That.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> Fred Durst music has, has been, uh, cited as, uh, been being deeply inspired by, by Scott Walkers. Oh God.
0: Yeah. I, I, I'm on, on our podcast, uh, we've been doing a series called the butt rock number ones where we're talking about every uh, billboard modern rock number one of the 2000s. So like preparing for this and then also like doing that series, it's just complete whiplash in my brain. Wow. Where you have these like deep like orchestral pop mixed in, obviously like layers for this like avant-garde stuff mixed where I also have to listen to bands like (laughs) Puddle of Mud and like really shitty era Foo Fighters and (laughs) all this just... Gar like you know who some would, of the garbage is good, but some of it is just so bad. You know who would not surprise me to hear uh, drop Scott Walker's name? Uh, Wes Borland. Mm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That what like so the thing with new metal that's so interesting is that there's so many of these guys in new metal that like they're very like I, I wouldn't even say technically. I mean, technically competent is like kind of an insult. Where it's just like not only are they like they're technically competent, like they're really inventive. There's a lot of really unique things they're doing in they rock music. Sonically inventive. I mean, that's why. Oh God. Yeah, man, I'm so glad we're on a Limp Bizkit tangent in this episode. Uh, that's why <laughs> Limp Bizkit is the perfect uh, one of these because it's like it, it is the dialectic of that new rock where it's like one extremely out there performance oriented avant garde composer like composer with like a focus on sonic sound and texture and then like mm-hmm. the dumbest guy in the world who like <laughs> wears an oversized t-shirt and backwards hat just the, melded just together just the stupidest dude yes uh to create the band and it it that's what makes it all so compelling
1: You've got Wes Borland in the studio, probably being like, "Well, you know, I uh, I I tightened my strings this much, and like filtered it through this kind of pedal, and yeah, I, uh, put this kind of effect over it to get this really strange, like uh, aggressive whatever." And the Fred, Fred Durst is like,
4: uh, um, "A yeah, <laughs>
1: I'll skin your ass raw!" Like, well, you know, when I wrote that lyric, I I just thought, you know, that'd be kind of that's, because, that's just what I felt like at the time. Uh, we we recorded
0: this in a, a downtuned four thirty hertz to really add to the uh, sense of menace brought on. And uh, oh, but this behind me, this is my full body skeleton costume, complete with a uh, colored, different colored contacts, so that I can become a new person as I play. Uh, red cap, white t shirt. Let's go.
1: Red, red cap, white t shirt, <laughs> and all my songs are just how much everyone sucks. Yes. Uh yeah. Anyway, anyway to, away not from to the Scott biscuit, Walker. <laughs> but yeah, away from the biscuit. Toward back toward the Walker. Um. So yeah, Cl- climate of Hunter was the the eighties effort. He's basically like a once in a decade type of dude by this point. Like he literally goes and just disappears, and it sounds like he almost like goes off the grid at these times where he's just like not yeah. really connected to going wh- whatever's going on in the world. Uh, but mm-hmm. he comes back. He did. He so yeah. He got he dropped from the label, uh. Again in the early '90s with the advent of Britpop, the orchestral like this more of the '60s like the mid to late '60s Scott Walker stuff comes back into fashion with you know people like Blur and Radiohead uh, who are like, wow, this is cool and good. And so once again, like it's it is insane at this point. uh, Just the ebb and flow of Scott Walker's career is that he keeps getting recognized for like the good shit he made like 10 to 20 years ago. And then just someone offers him another <laughs> branch and he's like, yeah, sure. I um, mean,
0: I'll, I'll make a record if you're just giving me money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we play a pulp song real quick to, uh, um, yes. yeah, yeah, to yeah. show how, how much back in fashion this is from, uh, their, uh, album different class from 1995, which is, and, uh, w- as we get into it, the Scott Walker's next album tilt, uh, comes out like right around then I think like 1994 no 1995 These, okay. yeah. yeah so this is what's coming out We're, we'll play tilt in a second but this is I spy off Pulp's uh, uh, different class which I think will show how much jarve uh, draws from Scott Walker I spy a boy I
4: spy a girl. But the worst place
0: Then he just turns it into a, a disco jam, but you know, he
1: can't help it. <laughs> the man simply can't help and it, and that's why I fucking love him. Yeah, uh,
0: but yeah, you get the, the point that, um, you know, Scott Walker early Scott Walker is looming large over this moment.
1: I feel like that mood that uh is being channeled here that Scott Walker was so good at is like man making his final confession, yes, like that's like the tone. <laughs> is like a guy who's like, alright, I'm at like I'm about to be out, but like I'll I'll let you know what's on my mind. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, Since we are
0: talking about like early Scott, I, I wanna I wanna just like iterate something about Scott Moore that's so funny to me. Yeah. Literally the the one of the songs on Scott Four is just him like recapping the plot of the seventh seal. It's just him just just relaying the plot, just reading the Wikipedia page for the seventh seal and just being like, damn. That fucking hits, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, good movie.
1: That's, that's so crazy. <laughs> um. Uh, so yeah, t- tilt is that the, that's his '90s his '90s John. Um. Mm-hmm. He it's tilt. We can listen to some of that, obviously, but the uh an, a review from. Uh, allmusic.com that has a, just an insanely perfect thing written about it it says tilt is the wind that buffets the gothic cathedrals of everyone's favorite nightmares <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, says it's um indescribably barren and unutterably bleak <laughs> which if you think about it like i because we none of us were obviously alive in the 60s uh and like we're not experiencing you know pop music in the 60s, but trying to come up with an analog of like, this would be like if, you know, if Britney Spears was in a couple decades making like this, like haunted... Like metal or, machine music. Yeah. Like is someone who went so far, I think it's it's easy to look at like the, a whole career when you haven't experienced it contemporaneously and been like, oh yeah, like that makes sense. But it is so nuts to hear how far he moves from the original stuff.
0: Yeah, f- you listen to it And let's listen to it. Yeah. And I feel like you can, it's still like all of a piece. There's a through line. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is the Cockfighter off of Tilt. (laughs) (laughs) See, already at this point, I mean, like, I'm a hunter. You can already know that, like, his voice has definitely aged quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's really here where he really taps into, like, being able to use this voice of, like, sort of um more into a false sense of security somewhere where it's like, oh, I remember Scott Walker. He has, that, you know, the big booming baritone voice. And then just sort of, like, t- as you were saying, like, being able to take this carcass of pop music and twist it inside out and just show him, like, how fucked up things actually are. Yeah. This, this album sounds like suffering. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a beautiful night. Yeah. From here to the start. There's on the sides of my finger. Beautiful night. From here to the trembling star, and the feathers so fresh, and the nerves so fresh. Do you swear the breastbone was bare? I sought and made my escape. Do you have any doubt he slept in that
4: bed?
0: I mean, only. This song is like six minutes long, so uh, and as you can tell, it keeps changing. But uh, I guess I guess you you get
1: the point or the idea at this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's very unnerving. Yeah. And it's also just funny that the, the re-interest in Scott Walker with, you know, all of these lush rip-pop bands, and then he puts that out, yeah. <laughs> which, to, I mean, it has, a, I think in the documentary someone, I can't remember who, but someone called it like the first... Um, 21st century album. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like and like which I think is totally true. Like it is certainly not of the mid-90s. Like it mm-hmm. it is has nothing to do with that. I mean there were a few things that it kind of is
0: maybe in conversation with. Like it kind of at certain times starts like kind of sounds like a nine-inch nails album or something. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, especially with like that industrial like I see that the industrial those- park. Just it's insane. It- it's funny, but, we, but, another, just, but then like the first part is like a, a, a like a, a avant-garde soundscape, and then some other times it sounds like Bauhaus, and like it is above it more than anything a horror story. Yes. Uh. All right, we can we can move on from this again. It's, ah.
1: It's
0: we get it, Scott. You're sad. Really You're fucked up. We get it, dude. Okay. <laughs> Odd.
1: Um so that that's till and then he only made he he made a handful more of more records um uh before he died he died last year. The the drift is the album. That's from 2006 and that's the one that the documentary documents which I think is it's they said is like the first time that he allowed like cameras to be around his process at all and as we said mm-hmm. at the beginning like definitely a weird uh you know there he he builds like a plywood a huge probably like a five foot tall plywood cube that like things are used as percussion on um the drummer punching the meat which I think is a slab of pork uh <laughs> it's also like a, kind of a concept album about the death
0: of Mussolini and his lover yeah Oh god actually I want to say before we before we go uh to the drift I I do want to mention a really like insane story that comes from this documentary about Tilt where he finishes the album and I think like the A&R of the label like goes to the studio to to listen to it with Scott and I think uh, his co-producer Peter Walsh who was his co-producer from Cloud Hunter until to the end of his uh till his death um in 2019 mm-hmm. And basically halfway through Tilt uh, the a guy's guy is listening to it. He's like, "Oh, hey, we should listen to this on like, you know, the regular studio speakers in my car or something." And then Scott's like, "No, no, 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 no. We're, uh, you know, I, I just want to stay here and listen to it here because once we like finish listening to this, I'm never going to listen to this ever again." Yes, yes. he says yes. that a few th- a few times about his music. That basically after he releases it, he d- never listens to it, and
1: he's stopped. He's Which also stopped insane. playing it live. Like he's yeah. he's, he's he hasn't played live since what mid the mid 90s was the last time like really the it's really more more or less when the walker brothers stopped whenever they ended i think like there's
0: a there's a live performance out there farmer in the city for like some bbc show but really that's about it and, yeah which again it, it, when, when you think about the current like modern music economy like being able to have that privilege where you can just never listen to your music once you're done that's fucking insane totally. especially with scott where it's like at least till, like, you know, worked on this album pretty much, like, for 11 years, you know? Yeah. And then as soon as it's done, that's it. I'm, I, I can't, you know, it's done. I, 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 I don't want to listen to it ever again.
1: That, I mean, that honestly puts it in line with, it almost seems like it is, like, giving birth to, like, an evil being. <laughs> where, yes. where you're like, I'm going <laughs> to, like, conjure this thing, and then I don't want anything to do with it. Like, I'm putting it into the world, it's your problem now. Yes. <laughs> Which is like it's, it it's has like that like dark magic vibe to it. That is, uh, it's very compelling. Uh, Dude's it, fucking rock man. Dude's yeah, this rock is so hard.
0: <laughs> uh, this is—I uh, Ka- would go to Clara because I think that that is the one that is specifically about Mussolini and his lover being mm-hmm. hanged upside down in a public square. But that song's twelve minutes and forty-four seconds long, so let's try the slightly more manageable uh, Cossacks R off of two thousand and six. Six is The Drift. right I think also Clara is the meat punching song, uh, song yes. but I don't have the patience to go in there and, and find the actual meat sounds. <laughs> It should also be noted that these two albums are like insanely elaborate expensive undertakings to undergo which is one of the things that only makes it more incredible because it has to get like a full orchestra in yeah. to record some of these parts mm-hmm. and, and they talk about that in the documentary where it's like basically they only have like a day with this orchestra and like scott is putting them through the fucking ringer like yeah. really like elaborate and just, like, really intense like, string parts. Yeah. You know, where, you know, at some point we're just like, you need to sound like a woman dying. But do that with your violin. <laughs> Play this one note for ten when minutes.
3: Straight. Across yes. Yes.
0: the more rocky parts of this album. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually kinda of funny that like basically like throughout the rest of his career on, oh, onwards so from, from the trip, it's him basically just like starting to like With being like, this rock and roll stuff's kinda cool. I should I should try it out. And then of course <laughs> in, in his nightmare vision it's just this fucked up monstrosity.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um So
0: yeah I'm gonna try to skip into the middle of clear and see if I can find some I think about like seven minutes in is really is, is one of the more interesting parts to me where he has the, the female vocalist come in and basically sing as Mussolini's mistress
4: sometimes I feel like a swallow
1: Swallow, which um, some we can stay. have this play down under us. Uh, is there anything else you have, for uh, Molly? The, well, the only other thing I wanted to reference on I've the drive, we don't have to play it, but uh, one of the songs, Jesse, is um, it's, a, it's a song about 9-11. Its yeah, that's <laughs> so we, we have to bring it up. That's why I have to bring it up. Um, we're, we're a little post-9-11 post in our current uh, recording schedule. But, um i I fuck with that song mostly if he wrote it from the perspective of Elvis Presley's stillborn twin brother, ok. and used that as a metaphor for nine eleven. And normally, i would I would just deeply roast that because. Artist response to 9/11 often uh, feel it just is lacking yes. as we've talked about before. Like the interpretation, like it just seems it, it, it's almost too big or it's, weird. It's always it's always both too much and not enough. That exactly exactly right. But that song, I'm like, I actually think someone maybe nailed the 9/11 song. Yeah. Uh, and so much much respect to Scott Walker for that. That's, well it's, well
0: hell, let's just keep going on this. These are the first three songs of the drift. So wait, let's see. Okay, that's that's a a minute or two of Clara. Here's uh some of Jesse.
4: Away of miles. I
0: mean, every time I listen to to any of his albums, I'm really just always just blown away by that voice and how that's just coming out of uh, coming out of a human, you know? Because yes. I, I think they they talk about it in the documentary at least definitely making these more recent songs where you know Scott has to kind of really put himself in a, in a dark place to, to sing some of these songs just because obviously some of the topics are like insanely fucked up
4: yeah
2: famine is a tall tall town a building left in
4: the night Jesse are you listening it casts its ruins
0: Yep, this is about
1: 9/11 and somehow. (laughs) Not, not for the faint of heart to uh, try to write a song with this particular perspective. Anyway, 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 give uh, anyway. Give, it's not Wonderwall. Get get real, <laughs> get real sad, and give the
0: drift a listen.
1: Yeah, God. well, give thing, give give drift a listen, and get real sad. Yeah,
0: yes. Uh, the thing, the the, the the Scott Walker mindset is basically that, that he's just terrified all the time. Whether it just be from like generational trauma, because we talked about Clara. Like the, the the genesis of that song was when he was like five or six, going to the theaters with like his mom or his aunt, and basically they would show the newsreels. And, you know, the, 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 the video of Mussolini's like execution and like subsequent, you know, disrespect, you know, disrespecting of, you know, obviously to, to, to adults who hate fascists, it's like, this is fucking cool. I love watching this. Stuff. Yeah. But yeah. To, to a five or six year old who has no idea what fascism is, he's just like, why do they keep showing this on, on the movie screen? What's going on here?
1: What did he do?
0: <laughs> it is. I think it is also important to note that one of the absolute last things Scott Walker did was score the uh, widely panned uh, 2018 movie Vox Lux*, uh, starring Natalie Portman. Yeah. The kind of um, bizarro Star is Born uh, movie <laughs> about, um, I have not seen this movie, but just pulling up the Wikipedia page, the first thing I see is, is Ellie having sex with the manager the night before the September 11th attacks. Nice. So it, all, it always comes back to September 11th. Oh,
1: God. We'll never recover, will we, huh? No. <laughs> it's, it's I, just over. Feel,
0: I just feel awful because, again, Scott Walker, he's just insanely terrified and makes just this great art out of it. And I just you know, I, I just sit here in my room and I'm just listening to it. I'm just like, damn, I'm just like, terrified of everything going on right now in our country. Um, I don't know how to make a great album, so I'm just going to play the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater remake and just you know, vibe out. <laughs> 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 Throw on Tilt and uh, try to collect all the, all the secret tapes in a uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater level. You find the secret tape, and it's just it's just the execution of Mussolini. She's like, oh, this is weird. I just wanted to watch Rodney Mullen hit some sick background tricks in instead of <laughs> watching this. Like, what's what's going on here? Uh, but anyway, Scott Walker, uh, it, it, it was enlightening to finally go down the, this journey. And you just, like, even from the, the people that appear in the doc, it's just, like, every time it cuts to a new person, it's like Johnny Marr sitting in a pub being like, Scott Walker was the, probably the greatest musician of all time, or and then cuts to Brian, you know, being like, "I've never created anything better than this," and then cuts to Bowie being like, "Oh yeah, this is the one that like inspired everything," and then cuts to Jarvis Co- Cocker be- the ra- being the rate were the Radiohead boys, the rate all the Radiohead boy- boys being like, "Oh yeah, this is one of the best albums ever made." Like, and it's funny you mentioned Radiohead because I know they they told the story of Creep basically when they when they when they made that song, they basically just called it like their Scott Walker song, and the producer <laughs> was like, "Oh, so is this like a Scott Walker cover?" <laughs> 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 and, which is just so funny to me that like basically the the biggest Radiohead song was their Scott Walker song, you know,
1: <laughs> that that Tom doesn't want to play anymore. Also,
0: <laughs> yes, Tom's kind of doing the uh, uh, the opposite of a Walker when he's doing the the She's right. he's goes going way up <laughs> instead of way down. Yeah, it's still
1: that I don't know Scott Scott Walker singing in a in a higher register in. In the later stuff, sometimes would, for the mm-hmm. Scott Walker version, would be a little more like
4: she's <laughs> running <laughs> out the door. That's pretty good.
0: Thank you. I mean, we're It it. Uh, to, to, to circle like right back to right ahead, real quick. It's funny that I think they were recording OK Computer or maybe the Benz. I want to say it was OK Computer and um god who's who's ready heads like main producer i'm, I'm like blinking nigel on right
1: godrich Godrich. <laughs> thank you yeah
0: Nigel. he's biking to the studios uh where, where they're recording okay computer or i think it's like Racksus. i think it's probably the Benz because because i know they record okay they computer, said okay like, computer okay uh, okay he, he bikes to the studio and he sees or no he's going he's walking to the studio and he sees scott walker on a bike and you know it was like holy shit guys i just saw scott walker riding a bike and then of course creates one of the greatest like Rock albums of the '90s and potentially of all time. Just like, damn! I saw Scott Walker. All right, we gotta we gotta put together the fucking greatest album of all time. I'm <laughs> so am from just seeing him on the street.
1: Do it for Scott. Do it for Scott.
0: Do it for Scott. God, there's so many wonderful quotes uh, throughout the 30th Century Man documentary. I think one, my favorite out of context quote, uh, comes from from Peter Walsh, who's the co-producer of, of all Scott's albums, of <laughs> him saying. Donkey sounds were a major part of my life last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as you as you you can tell, dear listener, uh, a lot of what we're drawing from this comes from the documentary. Um, it's really good. It's available on Prime. Uh, one of the things, you know, that I'm, I, when I'm watching one of these things, I'm always like, ah, am I going to, oh, saw a, a doc about a musical genius. I'm going to spend like two hours watching something about a brace of asshole. No. Scott Walker is really nice and normal and it's like fun to hang out with him and all of his friends in the documentary. I would highly recommend giving it a watch.
1: Yeah, that's so strange thing is that he is it's the music is so bonkers, but his presence on screen is so kind of calm and collected. Yeah. And I think I'm I'm trying to remember. I think maybe it was Jarvis Cocker talking about working with him at one point that he had a baseball cap drawn so low on his head that you couldn't see his eyes. And like gradually as you hung out with Scott Walker, like it, the sign of him be feeling more comfortable was like gradually the, the hat the, the like is, cap is pushed back uh, until maybe you could actually make eye contact, which I'm like, honestly, I think that's kind of, I I get it. I More human beings should have physical representations of their comfort level like I wish we had tails because I feel like that would just, <laughs> this is totally off topic but I just feel like that that would be a better sign of being like you know I'm not vibing totally right now or like I trust you completely and I feel like Scott Walker a hat it, as the barometer of his comfort is like a kind of genius version of that
0: uh, there's another really funny Jarvis quote in the documentary where basically like because uh Walker uh produced uh their the last pulp album and of course, he image just like, oh, it was a huge failure. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, and he's like, you know, uh, even at some point we were recording the album, uh, Scott even took the baseball cap off. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> heavens. Heavens to Betsy. The, the hat is off. The hat is off the head. Uh, well, is there anything else that we want to say about Scott?
0: So we had two more albums, um, uh, two more like main soul albums. And then I think two more uh, film compositions. Uh, but of course, in 2012, he dropped uh, Bish Bosh uh only only 6 years after the drift which like in Scott Walker time like 6 years is like if like an artist drops an album like a year after they drop the last one
1: <laughs> uh, he's really cranking um,
0: yeah and I, and i mentioned the the rock and roll influence i think like there's some really interesting more like more rock sounds basically just like oh he just kind of discovered guitars and was like this guitar sounds cool let's make it sound as fucked up as possible <laughs> <laughs> there's not there's there's a little bit obviously that's where a lot of the interviews that i i, I gave to you guys kind of come from that that era mm-hmm. what was uh was the bishbosh era and there's some pretty crazy stuff about making them like where if you thought the drift had some really interesting like uh like percussion choices or just like instrumental choices yeah, you know, like bosh Where at some point the guy who like punches the meat in the drift he also, Scott's like, hey, uh, do you know how to like wield machetes?
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, God. I need you to
0: like, I need you to like scrape these machetes together, like perfectly timed to the music. <laughs> it's just like the guy's like, okay, sure, I, I can, I can, I can do that, like. I, I can try my best.
1: I, I can um, do that. I hope I don't. I hope I don't slip and like cut my hand off. <laughs> uh,
0: that also sounds a little bit like uh, the beat that I love to uh, Megan the Stallions, Captain Hook, which is also comprised of like machete sharpening noises.
1: You do. You do love that that <laughs> do song, that don't song. you? It's a, that's a, it's a banger. Well, let's listen to
0: one off of that. Uh, all these songs are twenty one minutes long. Hell yeah, uh, <laughs> as they should be. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna. Sk- try Corpse de Blah and skip into a little... Oh, little
1: wait. Little. Oh, I actually have a note on this. Skip to, like, th- the three-minute mark for Cor corps de blâ. Oh, Cor. Oh, I o- oh open, I'll, I'll, okay.
0: Did it? Did it? I, I know where you're going here. I know where you're going here. Okay. Here, okay. Here's Here we are.
1: He's back to 3-4. Oh. That bastard.
0: Oh, are these the part noises? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, my old scabby sachem.
3: The sphincter's tooting our tune. If only
1: <laughs> the sphincter's I could tooting we... our tune. <laughs> <laughs>
0: slush, uh, this was made by a, a nearly seventy-year-old man.
1: we claim <laughs> Parts <laughs> are funny. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Parts are never hard. not funny.
0: See that's the thing about about like Walker's like later music is that everyone thinks it's like it's so like, it's like deep and serious. And it's just like there's literally fucking fart jokes on this like last soul album.
1: Amazing. <laughs>
2: it's amazing. the off from this Keep your vile rabbits and hand to yourself. Take your turn, and wobble.
1: All right. All right. That's the thing. One minute there's there's flatulence and the next it's like, you know, something straight out of hell. It's awesome.
0: Yes. Uh there is another I I won't make you play it, because again, it is a 20-minute long song or 21-minute long song. Uh, the, a, a, it's, it's got a great song title too. It's like kind of proto-Apex Twin in a way. Yeah. And he started just basically just naming his songs after like whatever the files were called. Yes. Uh, it's <laughs> SDS, S14, plus 13B, Zircon, a flagpole sitter. Uh, so very clearly inspired, uh, you know, by, yeah. by Harvey Danger, of course. Of course. Uh, but there's a part in that song where... You know, there's stuff with Scott. You're not always surprised by him, and sometimes, but then, like, they'll come through. Like, I, I haven't listened to Bish Bosh before this pod. It's been a little bit. And I forgot that there's a part in here where he just starts yelling at you, like, Did you ever throw your own mother's food back at her? Did you ever tell her, Take this filth away? What kind <laughs> of unnatural son would do that to his own mother? And it's just like, What the fuck, Scott? Like, even for Scott, it's like, What the fuck? And then like, going on the Genius page was like, I'm like, Where the fuck did this come from? Apparently, this is supposedly a quote from Louis B. Mayer, the co founder of MGM Studio. Oh,
1: great. Wow. My, man, lo- the my man loves is. movies.
0: He fucking loves the movies. I mean, he, he does. Might he, do you might call him a think? cinephile. He is a cinephile. Yeah. There's a really, I think probably my 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 favorite or one of my favorite Skywalker songs is on Bish Bosh, which is a Episodics, which again, another funny, amazing album title name. Which just, I, I'm always blown away by that song every time I listen to it. It's really, just the great like horn parts and the way he's able to like the sonic dissonance in here. And it's basically mainly a song about, about like. Damn, Hawaiians are scary, dude. Like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> so what is this is like this is like his fucked up surf tune? Yes. You Can hear that the ocean sounds? In some ways, it's really reminiscent of like a swan song, like really Mm. in this like latest swan's era. Yeah, I mean, and that's just like the the crazy thing is that how how you get to like swans as like a seamless, like a pure through through line from like her background, brightened by (laughs) Hawaiians. Mama was frightened by yeah. So, yeah, all these crazy, like, a, like crazy pedal steel and just the look of the crazy horns. The horns even get, like, they get crazier from there. Like, there's definitely songs I listen to. and I'm just like, why has nobody sampled this song? And Episoduk's, like, the, the horn parts, especially, some of the drum stuff is like, how has nobody, like, sampled this? You could make, like, a, oh, you know, yeah. you could take this really fucked up song and turn it into, like, something a little less fucked up, maybe. And, yeah. And make it really cool.
1: I, w- uh, I want a girl talk, uh, a Scott Walker mashup with oh my something, God. you know, Carly Rae Jepsen or something. <laughs> 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 oh, God.
0: Uh, well, we're at the end of Scott Walker's career. Uh, is there anything more that we want to say about this? I feel like I did my summary stuff before we started talking about Bish Bosh. Uh Yeah, so uh, he did uh, the two more uh The Child of a Leader and then Vox Lux. Uh, but the, his last, like, real album, uh, was a collaboration with uh, with Suno, or yes. is it just Sun or Suno? I never know how to say. Bear. Sun-O um, so
1: with three parentheses. Yeah, three parentheses.
0: And and the order of that I'm um is really is it's pretty interesting. We're basically like during the making of Bishbosh, Sun-O is like, "Hey Scott, like, would you want to do vocals on this song?" Uh, and then Scott passed because I think he was he was busy. Uh, he was you know had other commitments at the time. But then after Bosh or like towards the end of Bosh, he kind of came back to Suno and listened to this guy be like, damn, this band's cool. And then was like, okay, this, this Bosh album, it took forever to make. And I think the main reason why it took so long to make, uh, was that like, it was just really hard arranging everything. Just like getting like all the people in the studio and like, figuring out, okay, like, hey, when are we going to get the string section for this? And so a lot of Bosh was basically just spent like waiting to make Bosh. Right. And so he, I want to, be a little quicker about this time because mm-hmm. you know I, I spent a year writing this and then it was just like five years of just like waiting like okay like what am i gonna do and he got around the like okay uh, instead of like waiting so long for like these string sections and these like orchestras come in these uh these fucking suno guys they got some drones <laughs> and write songs around these drones and it's it's just like the the fact that like you know someone this this late in their career is still producing like Insanely fucked up music and still like pushing forward right. with the genres is just like still really crazy to me. Um, yeah, I guess uh, the, the 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 intro track uh, Brando, like you know, as I if you can't already tell, Scott's kind of like a fucked up dude. Yeah, <laughs> he's got some issues going on, and basically Brando is all about being like, "Damn, I love being beat the fucking shit out of man. It's amazing." <laughs>
4: oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh,
0: like damn, slap me Queen.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's amazing. You're. It is amazing that he still sounds so much like this. So like mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I want to know it's what he was doing to keep his vo- <laughs> like his vocal cords supple. Mm-hmm. Like, was he singing every day? Is he doing exercises?
0: I don't know. I mean, you can tell his voice is aged, obviously, because I think he's obviously going more into his higher register compared to the early stuff.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: But, like, because he's able to unlock some, like, really interesting... It's like, the song is basically, like, at least the intro is just, it's just, like, very operatic, you know? Like, listening to different Skywalker songs, you're like, damn, this dude could have been, like, a great opera singer if he wanted to. He could have been a great member of a Gregorian chant chorus. Totally. Wow. Or, like... Even some of the stuff where it's like, damn, he would have made like a fucking like great country singer if he wanted to go down that path too. Absolutely. As, so you, hear, you hear the drones, and he's just like, he hears these drones. He's like, okay, I don't need to write string sections anymore. I can just, I got, I got the drones. That's all I need, baby. Plus, much easier to coordinate two guys. Uh, or I think uh, two. Uh, are there two or three guys in, in Seto. Um, it's me. I think it's just the two two guys that were really the ones that were uh, behind the song with Scott. Uh, well, it's much easier to uh, coordinate two or three guys rather than a full orchestra. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this ends up being uh, Scott's sort is his last uh, hurrah of, of sorts because again, the only he dropped after this were um, were, were the, uh, the, the, the the soundtracks for, for Foxbox, and Shout of the Leader. Um, uh, Sad oh, to oh, go oh, out oh. On, on Vox Lux, but no <laughs> a little else. bit, yeah. I, I, South, South is the true ending. I, I yeah. think that's it's a it's a fine ending. Although the thing is, it's crazy that he was like still working on stuff to his death, and I, I do hope that at some point we do end up hearing some of it because um, he put out like a lyric book, like I think a year or so before his death, and there was like a ton of new lyrics in there. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really interesting to either like hear this stuff or hear like other artists interpreting it somewhat i I think it'd be just such an interesting project in the future but but yeah that's that's where the story ends uh died at the age of 76 uh left behind uh a daughter a granddaughter and and a longtime girlfriend and uh yeah it's just it's it's still something that like i'm it it still doesn't feel real that he's dead because i think (laughs) Mm -hmm. his music is is so it's compared to it's like you can say about some artists, like, Oh, their music is like a living, breathing organism. But like with Scott Walker, it's like, no, this is a breathing, living organism. His music, there's always something new that I notice on each of each listens of, of his albums. Yeah. They're and, incredibly dense comp- compositions. Mm-hmm. And you know, even, even the older stuff, you know, like hearing those, like, or, like those really like, um, grand orchestral stuff. I, I should mention, I don't, I don't know if we got to it. Uh, the person that was like the main, uh, arranger, uh, for, for Scott at this time, um, angela morley uh who by the way it's fucking rad that basically the person that like arranged some of his like best music uh in in the 60s ended up being like a transgendered woman mm-hmm. yeah i think that's just like really awesome to me yeah but yeah like you know is able to you know or you know have these these grand like arrangements and compositions because i think scott was uh, as a collaborator was just such a such a such a free a free guy where it's like you want to do this kind of like interesting thing like go ahead you know like go fucking buck wild with it you know or <laughs> or like really really you know do do some really interesting time signature changes like it's rain today has that like time signature change like right in the middle of it it's just like s- such a move that like not many other artists could pull off but Scott Walker could mhm mhm cool guy all the way through weird guy cool cool uh, weirdo I have a I have two more quotes from the documentary if you guys if you guys don't mind if I oh, yeah go read for it. them off yes um so they interview a guy I don't think it's the guy who did that like the the compilation in the 80s it's someone else who also was you know one of the, the big champions of Scott Walker in, in in the press well was like kind of keeping his legacy alive and whatnot I think it's like some French guy and uh, like towards the end of the documentary he talks about you know sort of the lasting impact of Scott Walker's music. And he says, I spent far too much time listening to Scott and it didn't make me the happiest person in the world. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs>
0: and, then, and then there's a great kind of quote from Scott towards the end where he talks about sort of the, his, his lost years where, mm-hmm. you know, he talks about, you know, all those wasted years. Um, and it does make you wonder, like, what if, you know, after Scott 4, like, what if, like, Scott 4 was a big success? Right. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and, I, and he talks about, like, basically saying, like, it was like, oh, would you have gone down the same path you did? And he said, yeah, and like much quicker. Like, I would have, I would have, <laughs> yeah, been, I would have been making the drift in like, like the late 80s or something. Like, oh come my on. Oh,
1: God. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, uh,
0: man. But yeah. Scott Walker, just again, just a very inspiring figure. And I think, like I said, one of the, one of the you know, when we talk about like, oh, the greatest musician of all time, I think it's like, yeah, the idea is like, eh, it, it, music is so subjective and you can't really say, like, oh, this is the best one of all time. But like, if you had to put someone up there, I think like Scott just for his his just the way that his career changed over the past decades, I feel like if you had to pick someone like who is the best to ever do it, it's like Scott would be like a pretty pretty solid choice. Yeah, for just the the range he was able to to go over you know throughout his career. Certainly one of the most um, interesting manipulators of pop, of the pop music language. You know, of like yeah. of like what what starts off as the uh, the the musical yeah, the musical language of of pop music and just seeing how far you can pull
1: it apart he was always doing him yeah, he was <laughs> maybe not always maybe not when he first started but he f- he figured out i think what it was then boy oh boy he did it <laughs> he, uh, pl- uh plywood cube and all Plywood. Cube i wonder who all. has that cube or wonder- if it was <laughs> summarily destroyed after recording session i wonder who has the meat i'm hoping no one has
0: (laughs) oh god there's another really funny story about about the meat where like scott he takes the guy he's like come here come here come here and he takes him to like the freezer in the studio and he and he like opens it he pulls out like the the, i think it's like a pig or something and he's like uh can you play this (laughs) like you know how to punch you know how to punch this do you think you can play this he's like I'll I'll try my best.
1: Uh, Scott Walker also, you know, shout out to Scott Walker. Shout out to all the people who indulged the weirdness of Scott Walker. Because you could have had a guy being like, no, I will not not punch this meat. I play drums with sticks, dude. Like, I will not punch this meat. I refuse. And uh, but he did it. And the world is better for it. Well, with the meat punching, let us
0: move confidently into the end part of this episode uh maddie thank you for joining us thank you uh
1: n- and thank you for introducing us to this, and this wild world
0: for and introducing us to the thank wild you world you. of scott walker would you like to plug your your shit yes uh a couple of things to plug up for the the indie heads podcast uh we are currently as as i mentioned uh in the midst of our butt rock number ones uh series that we're having a lot of a lot of fun with just listening to some of the just just garbage music but like fun garbage this this is this is garbage i love to eat and consume and be like yeah. damn damn this this guy in puddle of mud yeah he, he really misses his son and i feel it like really uh, hard like damn like damn dude um,
1: yeah, I, did, podcast, I did
0: feel a lot yes everything's so blurry everyone's so fake i mean damn i mean that's 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 right uh but yeah uh podcast podcast number ones um uh, subreddit were, you know we're we're currently in the midst of our uh, album of the year twenty fourteen series that I'm that I'm helping a uh, helm and edit where people are talking about their, their favorite albums of, of 2014. Um, I, I did a write up about Joyce Manor. My month of like August, September has been like insanely fucked up where I'm going from I'm going from butt rock to <laughs> Joyce Manor to Scott Walker. Yeah. Like all, wow. all like interchanging in this past month. It, it's uh, all, yeah, it's all just, facets of the same of the same. You're gleaming the same cube, just different sides of it. Exactly, uh, but yeah, that's really about it. Indian subreddit, uh, subscribe. Uh, got a lot of great AMAs coming up, uh, and then Indian's podcast. We got a lot of great content and guests uh, coming up on 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 the Butt Rock number ones. Uh, I just subscribed myself. Maybe I will start commenting in here. Uh, oh yeah, there yeah, is. Uh, it looks good.
1: Make an alt. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> I, I highly recommend uh, the latest episode. Uh, we 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 uh, we have a very special cameo from. Uh, a figure that's been haunting uh the podcast so far okay right like, okay. episode well we'll I'm we'll link to that uh right in our uh in the in the the copy for this um Molly is there anything you need to plug
1: nothing i need to plug uh
0: anything i need to plug no not really i don't think so you are if you're here you're here, if you're if you're here, here you've your been family. plugged yeah yeah but uh, you can always uh, send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Our last episode was from email solutions. Maddie, did you get in touch with us over email? Yes, that's actually how uh, this episode came about. I-, I emailed you guys back in February. I didn't yeah. get a response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, <laughs> like here's the thing lie. we didn't really respond to emails until the beginning of summer. Yes.
1: I got I, I got in a flow yeah and there was definitely a lot of people like I was responding to some people who had emailed like last fall and they were like whoa I forgot I sent this I'm <laughs> like, yeah,
0: I'm sorry. I I should have given Molly keys to the email earlier
1: yeah
0: uh <laughs> so yes yeah, send us an email at and at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at and intro pod uh you can like us on iTunes. Rate review us on on iTunes. Uh, and you know one that I haven't said in a long time? Oh, uh, yeah. Ooh, tell, tell a friend. Yeah. If you like with the show, please mention it to a friend. That's how you get the word out there. Uh, people know that that uh, some somebody else I was just talking about uh, embraced the tell a friend model of pub- publicity. But if every one of you listening to this told one person about the show and they started listening, uh, we would have double double the membership
1: eventually everyone would listen yes,
0: mathematically exactly. mathematically eventually the entire world would listen and that's yeah. where, where we're trying to get unlimited growth baby and finally you can always always find the pod at soundcloud.com slash and intro pod. pod uh, that's all for this week we'll be back eventually uh, the release schedule is back. a little uh, up in the air But we'll be back sometime soon with more stories of musicians here on
1: Ant-Introducing. Bye. That's it.